Welcome back. We all know the Savannah Bananas are taking the baseball world by storm. They are on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and their viral clips are all over YouTube too. This past weekend, they even premiered part one of a five-part series called Banana Land on ESPN+. But it can be argued that much of the success has come from the storyteller high above Grayson Stadium, the guy painting the colorful pictures each time the bananas take the field. I am Grayson Knight, and this is Baseball Podcast Our Fun. If you've seen any Bananas game on TV or online, you likely would have seen or heard today's guest. Biko Scala, a.k.a. Biko Rico Suave, has been the Bananas broadcast entertainer the past couple seasons. Finally, I get to hear all about where everybody's favorite broadcaster comes from, his favorite interviews, and what the future holds for him and the Bananas. Please welcome Biko Scala. Hi, Biko. Thank you for being here. How you doing? Oh, Grayson, absolutely my pleasure, man. Uh, what a great way to end another fantastic day in Banana Land, getting to chat with you. Um, so uh, what, what's your daily routine? Uh, what, what did you do today? Oh, dude, good question. Um, well, it was uh, a day unlike any other day in my three years. I guess I'm two plus at this point. This is my third year in Banana Land. Um, you know, typically I get in, I'm doing some kind of research on the players. Uh, sometimes I'm working on some videos for the marketing team or writing something up uh, story-wise. Uh, today I was working on a press release for some breaking news that we're going to drop tomorrow, probably about midday. Uh, I think the people will be really happy to hear that. But today I was also spending a lot of my time talking to fans because we released the news that we are leaving the Coastal Plain League and moving to full-time banana ball come 2023. So, you know, uh, a little bit of PR on my end, talking to a lot of fans who uh, maybe are really excited about it, and that's cool to hear, or fans that were, you know, not enthused because they they love the CPL and a lot of people don't love change. Um, and uh, I certainly see the sides to uh, to both ends of it, and and I am I'm so fired up to to be getting into moving to full-time banana ball and and to share what we can do with our, our young game. Um, so, you know, just trying to share the positivity and, and the bright side of what we're doing with Bananas Nation. So, uh, so the Bananas, the Banana Land is going to be every Friday. Is that right? Yeah, spot are, on. Are they doing the, uh, these uh, weekend games on ESPN too? Yes. So last Friday we were on ESPN too, which was awesome. That was my network TV debut, quote unquote. Um, as far as broadcasting a game. Um, and then Saturday was on ESPN Plus, and the next four games that we do of our Banana Ball Summer Series will also be on ESPN Plus. Will the, um, will the Banana Land premiere, premiere on the TV? So it premiered last Friday on ESPN2. The plan was actually to have our first game of the Summer Series, and then, you know, around 9 p.m. or so, because our games have the two-hour time limit, uh, give or take if there's some showdowns or something. Then Banana Land episode one was going to be right after it. Exactly, exactly. But the rain came in. Mother Nature had other plans. So luckily, the great folks at ESPN were uh, able to switch it around. Documentary first, broadcast right after it. And then the next four episodes are all going to drop on Fridays on ESPN Plus mm -hmm. exclusively. We'll talk about uh, the bananas in a second, but uh, I remember when we met, uh, you told uh, uh, my folks that you went to Syracuse University, but did you also grow up in New York? Yeah, I did. Uh, a couple hours north of New York City in a small town called Saugerties, 
We're right on the Hudson River. It's the Hudson Valley um, next to Woodstock, peace, love and music, all that good stuff. You know, 69, 94, 99, mostly before our time. But um, yeah, I, I love Saugerties. It's like a 20,000 person town. Saugerties High School um, is I had a graduated class of like 215 or so. So not too crazy, but um, it's a baseball town and I'm a baseball guy and, and it's a beautiful place to grow up in the Catskill Mountains. Um, so I couldn't be happier with with where I came from. Uh, so what was your first taste of baseball? Did you play when you were young? Oh, big time. Yes. My uncle Mike, my mother's brother, was whispering about the New York Yankees in my ear from before I can remember. And and he had to get at me quick because my grandfather, my dad, my whole dad's side of the family are all diehard Red Sox fans. And my uncle Mike is a diehard Yankees fan. So he got me into the pinstripes. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of my first word was first words was Yankees. Um, and, and that's created a really fun dynamic between myself, you know, and the mom's side of the family, everything is kumbaya and we're all happy. And then on the dad's side of the family, it's a very fun, friendly rivalry between the Yankees and Red Sox, which is the greatest rivalry in sports. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've loved baseball my whole life. Baseball stats have always really interested me and, and just made sense to me. I grew up reading box scores in the newspaper and, and just loving what I was digesting. Um, I grew up playing a lot of wiffle ball with my dad and, and neighbors and stuff like that. And then had played baseball, uh, you know, little league. I actually started playing recreational ball when I was like eight years old. That was the first time I ended up in a league. But from then on, I, I played ball all the way up through uh, high school and then Syracuse club ball when I was in college. What positions did you like to play? So I grew up as a second baseman, primarily dabbled at shortstop, but was mostly in the middle infield, fooled around at third base. I had some pitching experience, although I've never had a good arm. So it was slow, slow and slower with the fastball change up and breaking ball. Um, really just trying to get people to swing out of their shoes so they can hit a ball to one of my fielders. I was not racking up the strikeouts, but I was relatively effective for uh, the kind of stuff I had. And then when I got to seventh grade and I was trying out for the modified team, it was like a, it was like an 80, 90 person tryout. And I was towards the end of the line when people were talking about uh, what positions they could play. And I heard so many middle infield, second base shortstop that I got a little scared. And I was like, Hey, I'm this little guy. I've always been on the all-star team, but I'm not a power hitter. I hit for average. I, I was I was a little scared about my chances of making the team as an infielder. So they got to me and I hadn't heard anybody say it yet, like 70 people in. So I said, uh, right field. Bizarre. I don't know why I did it. I had never really played it in the outfield before, but I was like, I kind of feel like I can make this team as a right fielder. Um, so it was a, a weird decision seventh grade Biko made, but I ended up being an outfielder for the rest of my life. I made the team and all subsequent teams after it. And I uh, absolutely loved the outfield. I still played a little second base, but mostly was in center, uh, especially, but a little right and left as well. So personally, I play a lot of outfield myself. I don't play infield as much as I used to, and and I pitch a, a little too. Um, but uh, what other sport, What what did you play any other sports or did you have any other interests? Yeah, when, when I was like four years old, I want to say, my dad gave me the ultimatum of wrestling or doing karate uh, because he said I needed a self-defense skill. 
And my whole dad's side of the family, even my uncle Mike on my mom's side, were all wrestlers. So that was basically the goal was to get me to wrestle because I didn't want to wrestle. Um, and and then I ended up wrestling from the age of four all the way through my senior year of high school. And and I loved it for the most part, but it's a grueling sport. And um, I, I credit a lot of life lessons to wrestling and, and just perseverance and, and how hard it is. I mean, practice is just absolutely exhausting every day. Um, but it's it's also a sport where if you're bad at it, it's really not fun because you're just getting beat up. So it's it's good to be good at wrestling because then, you know, you're, you're having fun. And mm-hmm. it's really not a sport that's not fun to be bad at. Any any injuries? Um, Yeah, but nothing too crazy. I mean, I got a concussion when I was like 10 at a tournament up in Mount Anthony, Vermont. Um, You know, got banged up a little bit here or there. Uh, but nothing crazy. And then I also love playing soccer. I played soccer pretty much my whole life and then dabbled with a little cross country running 10th through 12th grade to help train myself for wrestling and baseball in the winter and spring. Um, and, and I always did long distance running growing up anyhow, road races and trail races and stuff like that. Um, but those, those were, uh, the big three were soccer, wrestling and baseball. And then I played one year of basketball in fourth grade was the backup point guard won the championship in my youth league and said, basketball is not my sport and got out. So (laughs) I got my ring and then left basketball forever. Uh, Do you have any uh, siblings and do they like the same team as you? So I've got a younger half brother um, through my mom and uh, they are a a really, really funny cat. They're they're so different for me, but so similar in many aspects in that, um, they, they love to have fun and love playing board games and all kinds of stuff like that, but couldn't care less about sports at all. They're a fantastic musician. Um, name's Baruch. So, you know, Baruch and Biko, it's, it's quite a combo. The killer bees, they call us in uh, the Hudson Valley. Um, but they were a fantastic bass player, guitar, keyboard, and drums. Um, and, and really going to do some cool things in life with that. But eight years younger than me. So I was, you know, kind of a little bit of a, a, a father figure to Baruch growing up, which was a really cool experience. And, and we are thick as thieves, um, and played a little like wiffle ball and would kick a soccer ball around a little bit growing up, but music has always been their interest. Not, not, uh, any kind of sport like me, who's just addicted to them. Uh, with a big family, were you guys all competing to be heard or see who could be the loudest? You know, not really. I think the age difference probably was big there. Also, you know, I was an only child for the first seven, eight years of my life. So I had a lot of time to shine. Also, um, I'm like a half hour from both of my grandparents on my dad's side, as well as my grandmother on my mom's side. So I've been spoiled silly my whole life uh, in the grandparent department, especially because all my cousins are out of state and like hours away. So I was uh, the prince, as they called me, quote unquote. Um, so I've I've never felt like I've really had to battle for any kind of attention. It's always it's always been there for me in, in ample amounts. Uh, my grandfather was a radio show host for like 20 years and my dad majored in communications like you in school. Uh, so maybe I was destined to have this podcast. Uh, but for you, uh, at what point did you think to yourself, I want to be a sports broadcaster? A really good question. And I, yeah, it's definitely in your blood. You've got incredible skill uh, on the mic for, for a guy of such a young age, but um, 
I, you know, like I said, I love baseball my entire life. I've been a big sports guy and I was playing travel baseball because, uh, you know, pat myself on the back. I was I was a good ball player and was able to make some pretty quality teams, all stars and all that nonsense. Um, but when I was 15, it was my third year travel ball or so. Um, I had seen enough out in the world of baseball of these amazing talents and was uh, very honest with my own skills in that I was a great ball player, but I wasn't the the best player that you've ever seen in your life. And I saw so many of the best players I've ever seen in my life. I was like, okay, this isn't going to be the path forward to me. Like I had dreamed it was going to be my entire life of playing major league baseball as a profession, but the next best thing would be talking about it. Um, so I immediately pivoted to still playing as much as I can and, and doing as good as I can but also focusing on figuring out how a broadcasting career could actually be the way to pay the bills later on in life. Did you ever like watch or listen to some like broadcasts or anything to uh, like learn about it? Oh my gosh. Big time. Yeah. I, I steal from everybody who has a microphone for the most part. Um, I think a really good uh, couple years for me was after Syracuse. I went to MLB network before I came to the bananas. So, you know, I was I interned interned with the Saugerty Stallions and did broadcasting for two summers during my school career. But then I went to MLB Network and I was doing a lot of video editing and had access to all 30 teams, play by play and color commentary guys for TV as well as radio. So I had 60 of these broadcasters uh, as far as play by play goes, who I could really pick and choose whose styles I liked, what I liked that they said, what I didn't. And I, I, I think it really crafted the guy I am today. I don't have like a go-to home run call or anything, but I will borrow go-to home run calls from other people because all the great ones have already been taken in, in my professional opinion. Um, but there are some amazing ones still out there. So I certainly pull from, from guys I'm watching all the time. I mean, I was watching Brian Anderson on TBS last night and I sit there, I was doing a little work, but also if I ever hear anything that I really like, I'll write it down in my notes and say, hey, repeat that, you know, 10 times before you go in bed or before you go to bed. So it's in my head. And maybe I'll break that out during a game when the situation fits. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big proponent of uh, I'll call it borrowing is is a little bit nicer from all of the legendary broadcasters uh, we have out there in the game. Uh, were you calling any uh, games at Syracuse? So actually at school, I actually did a lot more. Uh, with the local radio station, uh, it was an NPR affiliate, um, W-A-E-R. And for that, I did some pregame, mostly postgame, like sports radio talk kind of debate and analysis of games and, and all that. Um, so I really didn't dive into the play-by-play -play aspect of broadcasting while I was at Syracuse, except for during the summers when I was back in Socrates and I got to uh, broadcast collegiate baseball with the Stallions in the perfect game collegiate baseball league. Um, but, you know, even though I wasn't on the air calling games in the carrier dome or, or, or out on South campus doing soccer, or field hockey and everything that goes on over there, I was still practicing and, you know, I'd be in my room, turn, turn the volume off on a Yankees game and call an inning or two there just to keep the pipes loose and to uh, make sure that I wasn't losing anything that uh, I could I could possibly be gaining when when there's games every night that you can pretend to call, even if nobody's listening but yourself. Uh, what is something you learned early on that you've applied to your current job? Really good question. Um, I, 
you know, the basic aspect, I think, of, of one of the early things I learned was the difference between broadcasting radio and broadcasting uh, for TV. Because on radio, and, and I also grew up without cable, so I mostly grew up listening to the Yankees on the radio with John Sterling and Susan Waldman. So that was the kind of broadcasting I had always heard, which is describing every minute detail that happens in a game because nobody can see. You are painting the picture literally for everybody listening. Now on TV, they have the picture. So you're just trying to enhance the images that you see. There's a lot less talking when you're broadcasting on TV and you're more so bringing in your notes um, and, and just being able to plus the viewing experience as opposed to being everything for somebody when they're just listening on the radio. So I think learning the differences between uh, calling TV and, and games on radio was probably one of the first lessons that I learned and really hammered in and, and has helped me in my career. And it's it's cool because with the bananas, my first three summers here, we've had the games at home, which is on TV. And then we have the games on the road, which I'm on the whiteboard, which is really a radio broadcast for all intents and purposes because people can't see the field. Um, so I get to work both of those muscles. And on a nightly basis, I'm switching the broadcasting style, um, which is a tough task, but a really fun one to tackle. Uh, so didn't you write like notebooks full of adjectives or something like that? Yes. Yeah, that's that's something I did early on in my career in Savannah is because vocabulary is so important and, and you want to keep people on their toes. Every time a fly ball is hit out in the outfield, there's a different way to describe it. You know, you don't want to say, Oh, sky to right or center or left 10 times in a game. You know, that's, that's skied or that's lifted or lofted or popped um, or, or flied, you know, etc. There's a really good book called the baseball thesaurus um, and anybody who is at all interested in doing baseball play-by-play -play or working in the baseball industry as far as journalism goes, I can't recommend the baseball thesaurus enough. I'm trying um, to get that book. It, yeah, it has, it has every single adjective, basically, that you could ever possibly describe any possible play. Do you have it like, um, like next to you like while you're broadcasting? No, I, I don't have it with me because once I'm on the air, I, I feel like you do all the work off the air to be able to hop on the air and and just have that knowledge in your head and, and try and keep a mental log of what I've said adjective wise and, and what I still have in the arsenal, you know, how many arrows I still have in my proverbial quiver. Um, so in general, you know, you study the book, you write down what you like, you, you try and drill that home. And then once you're, once you're live, it's showtime and, and you just got to fire from the hip. And then one day you became a banana and that's our time. Thanks for being here, Vico. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> please, please tell us how you landed with the bananas. Uh, you had me there. I was like, oh, this was a blast. Wow, I didn't, can't believe I didn't talk about the bananas. Um, uh, your, your character, Grayson. Um, so <laughs> how did I end up in Banana Land? So it was a couple years into my career at MLB Network when I was behind the scenes uh, doing a lot of video editing. And I was just itching to get back out in the ballpark. Um, it was a dream job in so many aspects because I was working alongside legends, Jim Tomei, Pedro Martinez, Kevin Millar, Harold Reynolds, Mark DeRosa, Sean Casey. You know, it was like I was walking with these guys who were such a big part of my childhood in the, in the mid 2000s playing the game I love at the top level. Um, and then I also got to watch 150 or so Yankee games every summer and they were paying me to do it. It was crazy. 
Um, but even with all of those great aspects to the job, I kept finding my head turning and looking out the window because I just wanted to be in the stadium and I wanted to be a part of the action. So gosh, darn bad. So, uh, and, and I loved what I had done in Socrates with the Stallions for two summers. And, and I knew that's where my passion was. I loved, and I will, I am so grateful for MLB and NHL network for giving me my two plus years there. It was so cool, but I wanted to get back into the stadium and I was just looking on job boards. I signed up for, uh, STAA, the sports, um, uh, STAA figured out sportscasters agency of America, John Chelsnick runs it. And it's a really, really good way for young broadcasters to find a ton of job openings as well as get a lot of advice on how to land those jobs. Um, and I saw the bananas posted in there. I had not really heard about the bananas. Although when I saw the opening, I was like, Oh, I think I've seen them on social media once or twice. Uh, I watched their 20 minute story, which is incredible on the website. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to get here and I got to see what's going on. Um, so then, uh, you know, I sent in a resume to Jesse Cole. I had three batters of play by play. I did, which was a little creative thing in the basement of my girlfriend's uh, windowless apartment in Jamaica, Queens. I pretended it was Grayson stadium turned uh, all the coaches and, and stuff into bananas coaches um, it was a walk-off for the Braves. I figured, you know, people down in Georgia will probably enjoy that. Um, and, and then I gave them like 20 ideas for content that I had in my back pocket uh, along with that. And that got me an interview with Jesse. We chatted for like 40 minutes via Zoom, just like this. Um, I was in the Bayonne Public Library in New Jersey. And on the spot, he offered me the job for two and a half months to come down and, and just broadcast for the 2020 season. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm ready to leave a job that I'd been promoted in and was full time and I had benefits and, and all that good stuff for a two and a half month gig with the bananas because I just wanted to broadcast so bad. And it seemed like such a magical place. And uh, it has turned out to work out better than I could have ever possibly dreamed. So I want to get back to your whole experience this second. But something scary happened during Friday's ESPN2 broadcast. The incredible Bill Spaceman Lee collapsed while warming up in the game, got halted for a very long time. Thankfully, he is okay after the medical emergency. But my mom, who was an ER trauma nurse, wanted to know, were you preparing yourself to have a, to communicate uh, the worst or over air? And have you done any training on that? Had you had to report that? Like, how, how was that for you? No, I, I actually have never really sat down and thought about how to handle a scary situation like that. You know, um, I've had a couple pretty bad injuries in games that I've broadcast before. And, and that's always a, a tough thing to call. You know, I think in general, um, uh, I, I care about broadcasting and the people on the field and the game so much that you just let feel quote unquote kind of guide you onto how you should be talking about, um, you know, something tough like that. Uh, Bill Lee going down in the bullpen in my first ever game on national TV on ESPN two was something I had not prepped for in the slightest. Um, so, you know, in general, I am an immense fan of Bill and, and I got to experience this 14 game world tour with him, which was be, it was beyond magical. I mean, he's, he's such an amazing, amazing man. And we're so blessed to have him around and, and for him to be able to have so much fun with us. Um, he's, he's such a cool dude. So, you know, in general, I am the broadcaster, so you can't lose control. You know, I, I, I have to stay even keel, 
but I am out pouring out my heart because it's it's a scary moment and and we do have guys crying on the field and and it's it's it could have been very bad and and I'm so gosh darn happy that it wasn't and I have no idea how I would have handled it if it was but um Bill's a tough son of a gun he got zapped by the defibrillator a couple times was brought back to us and was in the office yesterday just joking and and gave us all hugs and being his usual self I mean he really has not changed a bit from that harrowing experience. Uh, but no, I, I've never really prepared for it. Um, I've, I don't know what I would say when it happens. Uh, if, if anything terrible really does happen at a game, uh, I think, you know, you, you just handle the situation as, as you feel like it should be handled and, and hopefully you, you don't do a terrible job. <laughs> So let's let's talk about your your really hysterical interviews. You've interviewed Dakota uh, Stoltz Albritton on a trampoline. You interviewed uh, Co- uh, Coach Eric Burns in a bathtub. Uh, you interviewed yourself, which is pretty funny, and uh, you interviewed Dan Oberst while interview uh, while uh, getting him stretched out. <laughs> um, uh, what are your like favorite stories and interviews while doing that? That's a heck of a question. Um, I'm I'm happy that you have enjoyed the ripe rundowns as wacky as they are. Um, I think my favorite all time, and I'm not sure we're ever going to be able to top it, was the Cole Kitchen. Uh, it was actually like five guys who were interviewed, but Cole stands out for an obvious reason. If if you've seen the interview, um, when I was in the plate of burgers and I was just a floating head, and it was in the player meal line. And because I was just a floating head, I was completely vulnerable and couldn't move or defend myself. So Cole Kitchen uh, last year took it upon himself to give me a smooch right on the lips. And that's hilarious. Um, You know, I've got no qualms with that. So I think that's my favorite all time that uh, really the atmosphere. I was in like a really weird squat for like 20 minutes. Um, and, and the vision of me surrounded by burgers and some popcorn and stuff never, never, um, fails to crack me up. There's, there's a lot that I've loved though. The first one I ever did was with Dan Oberst when he was getting massaged by Nick Claro. That one always cracks me up. I mean, me in the bathroom stall with Nick was, was another one, a couple shower interviews first with Kyle and then with Eduardo Malinowski. Um, I, I really enjoy doing all of them. Of course, being in a uh, bathtub with Eric Burns is a memory that I will truly never forget, especially because Jesse Cole, owner of this here club, uh, promised us that he had a jacuzzi. And then we got to his place and it turns out it was a tub with some jets. Um, so it was really funny convincing 11-year MLB vet Eric Burns to hop in the tub with me um, because I was like, the content will be great. Just you're, you're fine, Eric. The people will love it. Um, so th- it's tough to choose but I think my favorite all time is, is being in a, a part of the player meal feast after the game when Cole Kitchen ambushed me. <laughs> uh, some of my listeners uh, know that I had the pleasure of joining you for uh, an interview, uh, an inning uh, in the booth during the game on April 9th. It, right. was, it was amazing. And I got to be on ESPN plus. Uh, do you remember um, anything about that? If anything about that, that have any, you have any pointers for me? Um, and maybe so if I get another chance in the future. Oh, you're such a natural. I mean, it was, it was a blast to have you up there. I got such good feedback from bananas insiders and family and friends who are watching on, uh, who basically just said, man, that, that kid Grayson is, is really slick on the mic. 
Um, so, you know, I think, I think you did a really good job getting to tell your story, but also sitting back when a play was happening in the field. So, you know, the play by play person can make the call and then you can kind of take over on some analysis or get back into the story you were telling. Um, but I was really impressed by your feel and it's, it's certainly something that I, I hope to get you in the booth again in the future, because it was, it was really fun to have you up there. And, uh, I think the people loved it. Um, so let me ask you, because you're making a name for yourself, with Bananas, and doing an awesome job. Do you have your sights uh, set on something down the road? Well, my lifelong dream, or I guess my lifelong dream is exaggerating, because my dream since I've been 15 years old or so and transitioned my previous lifelong dream of playing Major League Baseball to broadcasting Major League Baseball would be to be the play-by-play guy for the New York Yankees, the, the team I grew up loving more than anything else in life. Uh, that is certainly still up there as, as a lifelong dream of mine, but also being in banana land has made me realize that this is a pretty decent dream and I'm so gosh darn happy here. And I think traveling the country and the world and getting to spread what banana ball is and, and the joy and fun of what playing for the bananas and, and getting to experience this is like um, is one of the coolest, if not the coolest thing I'll ever get to do. So I'm truly enjoying where I am right now. Uh, it, it went from two and a half months doing some collegiate summer baseball to now I've broadcast Johnny Gomes, Jake Peavy, Eric Burns, Bill Lee, of course. Um, and it's like, it's mind bending that I get to call games with some of these legends I've, I've watched play growing up mm-hmm. and, and just the madness and the fun that is banana land. So truthfully, this is my dream right now, and and I'm definitely going to live this out for uh, another year plus. I, I'd say another few years because it's just so fun to be strapped into this rocket ship and, and get to see where it takes us. Um, but down the road, certainly calling Major League Baseball games uh, for any team, for that matter. But the Yankees would would, would really be the cherry on top of, of my broadcasting career. So, Biko, now is the fun part where we get to do the rapid-fire questions. Cool. Uh, and you can answer with as much result info as you want. You ready? Sweet. I'm, I'm game. Let's go. Who's your favorite broadcaster of all time? Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm going to say Matt Vaskersian, but Joe Davis is very close. Savannah or Socrates, New York? Why? Uh, oh, my. Uh, I'm going to say Savannah. Because, you know, we got about 130,000 more people here. The open container law is really cool. I like palm trees. It's a beautiful city. We're right by the beach. There's a lot more happening in Savannah. But boy, do I love my hometown of Socrates, too. So is it true you won an Emmy? That is a fact. I did win an Emmy while I was at MLB Network. That was for my work on MLB Tonight, which was uh, it was really cool. It's it's cool because I say I'm an Emmy Award winning broadcaster. There's a comma between Emmy Award winning and broadcaster, but people don't hear it when you say it out loud. So I know you're a Yankees fan. Uh, what's your all time favorite Yankee? Hideki Matsui. That was my man growing up. I loved Matsui. I was a big Robinson Cano guy, Ching-Ming Wong, Mike Mussina, you know, obviously Jeter, Bernie, uh, Posada, Pettit, Mo. There's there's so many that I've loved just, just more than life itself. Uh, but Hideki Matsui, Godzilla, 2009 World Series MVP. That was my man from the jump when he came and hit a grand slam on opening day, his first game as a Yankee, first guy to ever do it. 
uh, he is still my all-time favorite Yankee. What is your favorite baseball movie of all time? Whoa, that's actually – I can't believe – I'm not sure I truly have a good answer for that. Um, wow. I've always been a major league fan. Uh, Bull Durham's incredible. You know, Field of Dreams, The Natural. I think Bad News Bears. Go. I'm going to say Major League. Major League, final answer. I think that's my favorite of all time. So I have a deck of car- deck of banana cards uh, right here. Sweet. But there isn't one of you. Uh, is there a Bico baseball card out there? Goodness. Um. Yeah, from my Little League days, you could get me on the Orioles, Rockies, or Cardinals. There's some baseball cards out there on my grandparents' and great aunts' fridges and stuff. Um. But – there is no baseball card past the age of 12 for me. Um, actually, the business cards we have in the office are baseball cards. I haven't gotten around to constructing one of my own, which, uh, you know, over two years here, I, I probably should get on that. Was, so was, maybe there will be soon. Was there a thought of, uh, was there ever a thought of getting you a baseball card? Because they have Jake the Magician here. And oh, they have, my gosh. Uh, the nana, the nana, the nana bananas. <laughs> That's so nana, funny. Yeah. Yeah, Jake made the cut, and I couldn't get in there. Uh, I think, you know, the thought behind the baseball cards was was the on-field characters. Um, I am honored, though, that you think that I should be included, Grace, and maybe next batch I'll, I'll weasel my way in. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely need to get one for my collection if you ever get a baseball card. Oh, yeah, but, one will be heading your way. But the one and only Pico Scala for you folks. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I love that you made it in time for me. Did you have fun? Oh, an absolute blast, Grayson. And I have a question for you here before we go off air. Sure. Do you have any plans this Saturday night? Saturday night. Do I? I don't think so. Okay, good. Because I talked to our dear friend Dan Oberst, and I think we found a few tickets for you to come to Banana Land and get to experience uh, a Banana oh, Ball Summer Series game. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, oh you think my... that'd be okay? <laughs> I mean, unless my... My, I don't think mom has to work, so I, I think I'd be perfect. And also, my birthday is coming up in two weeks. All right, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Early birthday yeah. present. We're going, says my dad. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Base, I see. I just saw your shirt. Baseball podcasts are fun. That's awesome. Always repping. I appreciate the shirt so much. It's, well, it's thank awesome. you. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, Dan Oberst, his pleasure as well. He's, he's the man who truly pulled the strings. Um, so uh, thanks again, Biko. Uh, if you want more information about today's guest, go follow him at Biko Rico Suave. That's B-I-K-O-R-I-C-O-S-U-A-V-E, Biko Rico Suave on Instagram. Or check out some of his funny videos with his fan of bananas out there on their Instagram or YouTube channels. Remember, the bananas and the party animals are playing this weekend and next weekend at Historic Grayson Stadium, which now I'm going to. Oh, you're a pro's pro, Grayson. Uh, for tickets or to be on the waiting list for next year's Banana Ball World Tour, visit the SavannahBananas.com. And you can help my show by subscribing to Baseball Podcasts Are Fun on Spotify and YouTube and following at Baseball Podcasts Are Fun on Instagram. Please check back for next week's guest. Until then, I am Grayson Knight, and this is Baseball Podcasts Are Fun, and that was Biko Scala. Don't forget to swing for the fences. See ya.